The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello and welcome to Barron's Live, Financial News Edition. My name is Justin Cash. I'm the online editor here. And today we're going to be talking all things M&A. The pandemic helped drive a full-on boom for bankers as scores of firms sought deals to keep them afloat or to prepare for the post-COVID world. But now that boom is fading and junior bankers are suffering a burnout crisis. What does the future hold? I'm here with Fenchurch Advisory Partners founder and former Conservative Party treasurer, Malik Karim, to discuss. Malik, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, Justin. Thank you so much for having me on. Malik, your career in the city is getting on for four decades now. How do you read today's environment compared with what you've seen previously? Oh, look, I, I think it's uh, it's more cyclical than structural. I think, you know, I've seen four or five downturns, uh, quite severe ones um, over my uh, time in the industry. I, I think um, you know, things are never as good or as bad as you think, but you know, mm-hmm. we, all, of, all of our industry is very, very guilty of extrapolating uh, very aggressively on the, uh, on the positive trends and extrapolating again, very aggressively on the negative trends. It's hard to get the balance right, um, but it's been a challenging year for, for, for a lot of people been a a challenge how to allocate resources when we've seen fees fall i mean you guys maybe unusually are looking at expansion particularly in the us where you're calling in from now talk us through why now was the right time when a lot of people are retrenching for you to spend money on a new market well look um there's sort of two or three elements to this The, the the first one is that um you know, the Fenchers proposition in the UK and Europe, you know, which is based around independence, based around expertise, based around having a scale capability and very strong connectivity and a strong execution uh, for our clients has been, been compelling and fairly successful. So, you know, for a number of years, a number of our strategic and sponsor clients have been encouraging us to, you know, help them, help and support them in the US. Mm. Uh, COVID probably delayed those plans a little bit, um, and you know now is a good time for us to do that. I mean, part of the um, part of the gating item was finding the right person to uh, yeah. to work with, and you know we're incredibly fortunate that um, you know one of my former colleagues and friends who I've been in touch with for I've known for over two decades, uh, John Sip, is uh, joining us, and you know he's somebody I know and trust, and. Uh, you know, culturally and from a team perspective, he, you know, he dovetails incredibly well with, uh, with our London team. And I think all those things come together to, um, to um, you know, to, to help us um, uh, come to this market, which, again, is a very, very important market, not just from a um, size point of view, but it's, uh, it's, you know, one of the most advanced capital markets. And uh, it's a fantastic growth opportunity for Fenchurch. You talk about John being the right cultural fit. Where do you see the main differences at the moment between what you see from deal making in the UK 
and the US, I'm talking about things like, you know, the return to office, like pay and incentives, um, like burnout and work-life balance, issues like that. How are you going to approach those differences in your US outfit compared to what you might have as a, as a UK strategy? Well, look, I, th I think the industry isn't dramatically different in terms of um, mm -hmm. you know, what we have in the UK and uh, what we're likely to see in the US. I mean, we've got a couple of guys in the UK team who worked in the US. John obviously knows this market. Um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very competitive market in some ways, but, you know, excellence, uh, teamwork, um, hard work uh, are all the ingredients for a successful business, both uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Are the kind of sector opportunities that you see the same as well? Obviously, in the UK, very much known for the asset management, the insurance space. Is that going to be in the US where you also think investors can win? Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, we are, again, very strong in uh, insurance, asset wealth management in, in the UK and European market. Uh, our initial focus will be around that because that's what our clients on both sides of the Atlantic know us for. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a market characterized by dislocation. Uh, and, um, and, you know, as a, as a result of that, um, you know, we're prepared to be opportunistic. Um, you know, this is a talent business. Um, you know, when we started Friendchurch, we, we never had a, a perfect template for what we might look like every three or five years. You take advantage of the opportunities in front of you. And in, in our business, the, those opportunities are really driven around talented people. Talent and people, how much does salary and the ability to pay come into that at the moment? You know, fee-income comes down, there just isn't as much, you know, M&A or capital markets activity around. Can you still really, particularly as a, as a boutique, bring in that talent with the resources you've got? Yeah, I, I don't think we've, uh, as I said, look, we've been, you know, we've been going for nearly 20 years. Um, you know, we've had two or three severe downturns during which we have expanded uh, and, you know, both um, grown our own people, but made some lateral hires. Mm. Uh, throughout each of those, uh, each of those phases, we have had no issue in terms of, um, you know, winning high quality business, getting it executed, being fairly paid, uh, and, and as a reward, create an environment for our for our bankers to both um, enjoy the um, you know the unique proposition of working in a in a sort of sector-based scale outfit, but also having mm -hmm. the teamwork, the compensation, and the advance advancement opportunities which come with that. I, I think um, you know I think it'll be similar here. Now you're broadening the geographical footprint. Might you also broaden the sector footprint? as well is a, a question from um, Nick in the audience. Thanks so much for sending those in and do keep pinging them into the, the Q&A if you have any at all, uh, who asked, did you consider diversifying the business into other sectors apart from FIG? Um, not seriously, no. I mean, look, over the years, we've had many people uh, approach us. We have thought about it. I mean, I'd be incredibly stupid if we haven't thought about it. Mm -hmm. We have thought about it. I think we've, we've decided that we want to stay in one sector and be differentiated by that. I mean, you know, everything we do at Fenchurch, uh, our entire sort of ecosystem is around around financial services. Um, and I think, you know, once you start going into one or two other sectors, you probably have more polarization rather than diversification. I think diversification yeah. only comes in if you probably do a dozen sectors, maybe. Um, 
So I think uh, from that perspective, we've thought about it, but we have, uh, it's very, very unlikely that we would ever do that. Yeah. In, in terms of when you <coughs> set up this US space from scratch, the people issues are a bit different from what you might face in the UK, where we've seen attrition, particularly at the junior ranks, rather than you know having a figurehead like, like John at a very senior level need to come in. What are you seeing in terms of, you know, the analyst associate levels and how we can keep them on on board? <coughs> Excuse me, Justin. Sorry, I've got a bit of no a problem. Well, look, I mean, we, we, again, similar issues, both in terms of um, the UK and the US. I think, you know, when, once you get talented people coming on board, you know, you all have a duty of care to make sure that they are fairly treated, uh, treated like human beings. There's a lot of uh, lot of care from other managers within the firm that they're not abused in terms of how much work they do, mm. that they, they get enough time to get their weekends and holidays. And Justin, look, I speak as a parent. My son did some investment banking. I know what he went through. You know, um, I think most of the industry is now much more aware about these issues than we might have been. Uh, a few years ago. So I think, you know, part of this is much more about having enough training, enough pastoral care, uh, enough team events, enough flexibility in terms of how people work to suit them, um, <clears throat> and making sure people get their vacations. And uh, so I, th I think it's just a constant effort for everyone to make sure that all the junior people uh, are valued and respected and cared for. Have you ever run into situations where those priorities have come into conflict. You know, you're on a deadline, you've got a, a client that simply needs something and you're getting paid a lot of money. And then there's, you know, staff who want that a particular reason for a work-life balance issue and how you manage that. Well, no, I think it's a great question. And I think this is where our unique proposition becomes very compelling. First of all, we are only doing FIG and financial services which means everybody in financial services is very fungible. So, you know, we have a lot of flexibility and we are able to move people around uh, from A to B to C project um, pretty, pretty, pretty seamlessly. So I think, I think that's the first thing. And, and the second thing is, is, is the scale, again, enables us to really have um, an origination and an execution capacity uh, which, which some of our some other people don't usually have. You know, they get sucked into transactions. So everybody at Fenchurch is is responsible for every part of our development, including origination and, and execution. Mm. You know, there are always you know benefits of of that model. But do you think we'll ever see people not being lured by your Goldman Sachs, your J.P. Morgan's, you know? people getting on that first rung of the ladder in particular, they're still so drawn to those names, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. And look, they are incredibly successful, formidable, world-class organizations who offer a very compelling career for, for people. Mm -hmm. um, equally, um, you know, if we look at our attrition levels, A, they're very, very low. Uh, B, I think in about 20 years, I can think of maybe three or four people who now work in, a, in, a, in another firm who have yeah. left venture. So I think we... Uh, I think we're getting some things right. We can always get better, but uh, we're not out there trying to compete with Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. Uh, we're we're ventures. We do what we do, but you know it's a it's, it's a it's a tough industry, Justin. And uh, 
you know, clients are demanding, and you know, it's an industry which demands success. So we're always going to have these balances we need to strike, and um, we're all going to have to evolve and manage these over time. And it's likely to, going to get tougher over over time. On a on a political level, we've just seen the autumn statement, obviously in the UK. Um, you know, lowering thresholds for capital gains tax, for dividends tax, for uh, taking down the, uh, the top end income tax threshold as well. Do you feel that business and financial services banking is being supported enough in light of those kind of measures? Yeah, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's 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 a personal attack on uh, on business or banking. I mean, if I just take a step back. You know, thematically, I think what the Chancellor and the Prime Minister have done today is absolutely correct. Mm. You know, the context is there are a whole bunch of international issues which have created inflation uh, in the UK, and that view has been endorsed by the OBR. The, the reality is, and, and again, I agree with Jeremy Hunt when he talks about credibility, stability, a path to growth, mm. and, and, and a strong, compassionate desire to protect our public services. I think those are all, are all the things I endorse 100 percent and i think they've been well received by the capital markets i think you know if you look at yields mm -hmm. um you know they are not as as high as they were a few weeks ago and, and the key point here is that we now have a monetary and fiscal policy working in the same direction so uh, as you saw some 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 noises around solvency too today in terms of you know some of the changes which are planned so i, I don't think it's a personal attack on business or anything i think throughout this uh, this, uh, this sort of premiership under Rishi Sunak, um, you know, the, the view has been we're going to have to make some tough choices. And, uh, and I think the people with the broader shoulders are going to have to uh, have to bear some of the burden more than others. You know the, the Tory party incredibly well from your time as treasurer. What was it like navigating the uncertainty of the, you know, the Liz Truss era and, and the chops and changes at the top when you're speaking to maybe international clients who are looking to make you know, major plays in the UK? Yeah, look, I, th I think it was challenging. I think, um, you know, we've had three prime ministers this year, four chancellors. Um, you know, mm. we've had an intervention from the Bank of England in the capital markets. You know, these are things which, uh, which is not what the UK is known for. So uh, I'd be lying to you if I told you it wasn't challenging. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, most importantly, I think we are now stable as a party and, and as a government. Uh, I, th I think, you know, uh, our Prime Minister has, has developed a cabinet of uh, unity. He's got people united across all, uh, uh, from all, all sort of different components of the party. And, and most critically, I think we have a credible economic plan uh, underpinned by stability, growth and the desire to protect public services, which I think keeps uh, all the stakeholders in our country um, happy. Back to the kind of the, the, the day job as it works. We've got a, uh, a question in from the audience. Thank you, Ben, for this one. Have you looked into automation tools for junior employees to keep a good work-life balance? Um, I think we keep these things under review um, and we look at these things uh, every so often, but um, it's not something we're planning in the short term. So what are the, the main kind of gains that you think you could make or what would an ideal you know, tool look like for you if there was one? Uh, I, I, Justin, I'm probably the wrong guy to answer that mm -hmm. question. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't 
profess to have uh, knowledge of these things. Um, maybe I wish we'd get a couple of our VPs to tell me and educate me more about this, but I rely on a, a whole bunch of uh, people in our team to tell us what is the right thing to be doing, That's both in terms of practicalities, but also uh, in terms of, you know, work-life balance. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> perfectly understandable. It's I think I think it's worth, sorry, sorry to interrupt, I think it's worth keeping in mind we do a lot of, uh, a lot of primary research ourselves, and I think that's part of the learning curve. So I don't know if, if automation were to take that away from the, the expertise development of, of our people, I think that would probably be a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm incredibly conscious by the confidential nature of our work. And again, in terms of you know how we share client information, um, you know, if these systems get hacked and whatever, um, I think I think these are. These are not straightforward decisions. It's going to take a while for people to uh, to get their heads around them and make sure that um, there's enough sort of protections for everyone. Yeah. And it, taking it back to when you know your your earlier career, it must have been a, a very different landscape in terms of any technology that you could use. Yeah, look, uh, Justin, when I started at Klein Benson in 1990 we had to go and get information on public companies uh, from a microfiche. Mm -hmm. right? You used to get your hands very dirty getting that information. You know, we had no, I mean, the, the earliest sort of thing we had to plot share price graphs was data stream. Uh, we had to look up share prices in the newspapers. So, um, you know, we, when I joined Clanwood Benson in 1990, there were around 200 professionals and two personal computers. So, you know, doing spreadsheets, um, yeah, mobile phones, technology, it's made us much more productive in many ways. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very, very different. And um, when I tell our junior bankers some of these stories, they look at me as I've gone mad. Uh, <laughs> say, yeah. What's been your, your favorite deal that you've ever worked on? And the flip side of that coin, has there ever been one where you've thought, oh, I'm not sure uh, this is going to get over the line? Um, look, I mean, there have been so many, it would be hard to pick one out on either one, but, you know, there have been, um, you know, there have been transactions where, you know, we have made a huge difference, uh, and which have been really important for the team and for the market and, and for our clients in particular. I remember <clears throat> we had a transaction from AXA, uh, back in 2015 when they were trying to, um, sell some very, you know, challenging assets in the UK and, uh, I think they started out working with one of the larger banks, but they asked us to help them and support them in terms of, you know, um, reshaping the uh, the perimeters around the transaction and getting them done. I think that gave us a huge amount of success uh, of, of satisfaction. A to help uh, an important client through uh, through some difficult uh, difficult sort of uh, transactions, but also uh, it was good because it meant the whole firm was working on different elements of it. You know, we had an offshore business, we had an insurance business, we had a platform business, and it was great for our teamwork. Uh, and in a, in, a, in, a, in a way, it was very good for our presence in the market that, you know, something which was seen as being a very challenging transaction was delivered by Fenchurch and our leadership. And there'll be a host of those great wins, but there's also been times where maybe there's been a bit more scrutiny put on. I'm thinking of... Uh, work for Bain and, and LV that you guys were involved in the back end of last year that turned into a, a bit of a, a campaign from some areas of the press that this is 
U.S. corporate raiders coming in and U.K. PLC is uh, is going to the dogs. How does that make you feel when you see those kind of headlines, those kind of criticisms? Yeah, well, look, I, I just accept that. Look, I, I would not really wish to comment on any particular client's uh, mm-hmm. transaction. But, but LBA, you're right, was a public situation. It did get a lot of, uh, lot of attention. Um, I mean, just by way of background and context, you know, we had been working with LBA for many years. Uh, including selling the general insurance business to Allianz for about one one point two billion, uh, and then I think the board, um, you know, hired us to support them with a strategic review. Yeah, and we then ran a process which uh, which which ended up with a transaction with Bain uh, that was endorsed by the board, supported by us. Uh, ultimately, we couldn't get it over the line. You know, it was sixty nine percent. Voted in favour, so it wasn't exactly a disaster um, compared to a, a threshold of seventy-five percent. But the key point is that the members had a vote, uh, and and they voted, and uh, you know we are we are very pleased uh, to have been involved and uh, done our best for our client. Some some mergers like that, you think okay, there there is you know strategic rationale. Are there others where? You've looked at the business, someone has asked you to look, and you go, oh, we could do this, but I'm not sure there's going to be anything in it for the investors at the end. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure there have been many situations like that. I think most of the people we work with are very serious. They're large corporates or sponsors. I think they are you know, full of interesting, accomplished people. I think they, they don't embark on... Uh, on M&A activity without without some real uh, conviction and uh, an appetite and knowledge. So uh, I would say very very rarely, will, uh, if any, would I come across anything like that. We've got another few questions uh, come in, so thanks very much again to our audience for that. This one's from Hal. What are your feelings about remote work by your employees? Uh, we're we're pretty relaxed about it. I think you know we're we're trying to get people to uh, to come in three, four days a week. But again, I think the, the general view at Friendship is look, providing your immediate team members are happy on a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're free to work from home, certainly uh, on a Friday. Uh, and other days, we, we don't, generally, there is a preference for people to come around. You, you have more interaction. You have more spontaneity, more of a spark talking to people. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, you know, uh, we are flexible and uh, there, there are there is no sort of uh, compulsion, but our preference is that people come in uh, and then talk to each other because that's where the teamwork <clears throat> and the ideas and the creativity come in. Have there ever been periods of tension, particularly closer to the height of the pandemic, where maybe some people wanted to be out more or in more, and how how you managed those tensions? I, I don't remember ever having any of those particular tensions. I think we just generally let, you know, we took the mature approach, which, which, which was we trust our people to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, if they felt more comfortable working from the office, that was great. If they felt more comfortable working from their parents' house overseas somewhere, that was great. If they felt more comfortable working from their apartment, that was great. Mm-hmm. The important thing was they felt safe, secure, and, and I think we had a general sort of principle that if anybody felt that a client was demanding that turn up to a meeting and that didn't feel comfortable, they could bring it to one of the senior guys and we would deal with it. So I don't remember any particular sort of um, t- 
tension around it. But as I said, we, we trusted people to do the right thing and, and we still do. We've got another couple of brilliant questions come in. This one is from Baker. With a significant rise in PEs rolling up distributors of insurance in the US, how do you see the impact on future insurer performance and opportunities for public offerings? you try that one again, Justin. There's quite yeah. a lot in that. So, so with significant rise in private equity rolling up distributors of insurance in the US, how do you see the impact on future insurer performance and opportunities for public offerings. I guess more, more broadly talk about the consolidation in and in the PE driven consolidation in particular of sectors like insurance and what that's going to mean for the stock going forward. Yeah, look, I, I think a number of um, world proven models where people have consolidated insurance intermediaries, both in the US and, and in the UK. Um, these have then come out with an exit. But you know, there are three very large brokers with big market shares. So I suspect that the new new brokers will continue to, to evolve and consolidate, but over time, new brokers will again start their own firms. You know, we've, we've seen that happen in the UK and we'll see that happen in the US. So I think deep down, I think, you know, insurers will always have a choice in terms of which intermediaries they work with. And um, I think I think the industries will both, uh, both at the insurance level and intermediary level, remain pretty competitive. One more from uh, from Paul. Is banking less attractive to university graduates than when you started out? How do you increase its appeal? Um, look, I, I think um, that there's certainly more choice. I think you know from from the time I started out, you know the the, the, the typical uh, typical exit or or the entry uh, exit from university entry into business was through being an ACA. Uh, I think that's changed. You know, the industry is now taking many more graduates directly. And clearly, we now have a very, very large, successful, established and mature private equity industry, a hedge fund industry, a consulting industry, uh, who are all, uh, all competing for the best, best talent. And ultimately, I, I, I think people will try a couple of things before they decide where, where, what they really enjoy and where they're going to be most successful. I mean, a few a few years ago, I would have said, "Are you worried about losing people to crypto?" Because that was genuinely happening. But I guess that's uh, that's not uh, so high up your priority list at the moment. No, and, and look, I think um, you know, the, 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 the crypto thing hasn't really invaded our sort of thought processes in any meaningful way. Most of our clients, in fact, all our clients are institutional. Um, you know, they are charged with people's money. You know, they are. They're worried about creating good end outcomes for their clients. Uh, financial security and stability are absolutely key to that outcome, particularly for insurance companies or other institutional investors. Um, and crypto probably doesn't fit into that narrative. Do you still see a role in the sectors that you mainly serve, particularly in the UK? So we're talking, you know, asset, wealth management, insurance for smaller players or are we now at a stage where scale is the only game in town oh i'm, I'm not sure i agree with that uh, i we know many many successful businesses um who are uh, ventures is one for example where scale isn't the most important thing i think the performance and the quality of the product and the offering the respect people have is just as important so i'm, I'm not sure in, in, in terms of the firms yeah. in those those sectors. You... Yeah, and, and again, I think we know some very large 
fund managers, wealth managers, insurance companies. We know some mid-sized ones, and we know, know some small ones. They are each successful in their own right. I mean, the, the metric you use to measure success, I don't think it's just about scale. It's about quality. It's about innovation, creativity, profitability. Um, so I'm not sure I, I'm, I'm the guy who's going to buy into scale is the most important thing. One more uh, nice political question um, coming from Neil. Did Rishi Sunak's background in the US and with Goldman Sachs give you more confidence working in the US? Do you think more companies in the UK will begin working more with the US? Uh, I never thought about that for one second. Uh, <laughs> you know, for us, our evolution into the US is a completely organic, natural thing. Uh, it was always a question of uh, when, not if. So I think. Uh, um, any, any connection with Rishi Sunak's career is completely um, irrelevant to our, our decision making. What about Brexit? Have you seen any ideas on your European footprint impacted by that? Uh, no, look, as you know, we uh, we have a strategic partner in the Texas. Yeah. Um, so that gives us a very, very good, uh, high quality gateway into France in particular and other European markets. Um, you know, personally, I was a Remainer. Uh, but, you know, I accepted the democratic outcome and reconciled myself to the fact that, you know, we were leaving the EU, which we have. I think, you know, people, you know, this was a big, uh, big decision, uh, full of many complexities, risks and rewards. Um, and like any corporate transaction where you do a complicated separation, um, these things aren't very straightforward. They take a lot of time uh, and it'll probably take another five, ten years before people can even begin to conclude whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. Malik, thank you so much for joining us. We are just running out of time. Um, th th thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much again, Malik, for joining us. We hope to see you again tomorrow for an IBD special on Tesla. The electric car maker and its CEO, Elon Musk, are constantly in the headlines with heated disputes between superfans and critics over its trajectory. Should investors still be buying? What are the warning signs to get out or get back in? Alisa Coram and Scott Sinclair of Investors Business Daily will discuss all that and more. Thanks so much, stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.